do you think it means to be included? Episode 8, the actual episode 8. Last <laughs> week I said that one was episode 8, but it is not. This one is of the Front Porch Podcast. Uh, Emily and Paul again. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm Paul. I'm Emily. And uh, <laughs> here we are, reporting from inside the front porch. Mm-hmm. Just another week of excitement here. <laughs> A um, little more than usual, I think, for me. Gotten outside more. Oh, good. Yeah. I have not. Okay. Today has <laughs> been, this week has been an inside week. Mm. Yeah. It's good. No. No? It's been unpleasant. No. Well, I mean, you know, it's fine, but. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> so this week, we've got Dom's talk from last quarter. One of Dom's talks on scarcity and plenty, which... Every single one of these, it's so funny because it's like, oh, it was really nice in the winter. And now in this quarter, you revisit and you're like, oh, my God, all these things mean so many new Mm. things now. Yeah, especially this. This one for sure. Mm -hmm. Because so I have a story to kick us off. Please. Thought about this. So I have a friend who lives in slow who lost his job and he has a brother who lives in Montana who also lost his job. Okay. And they both applied for unemployment. And apparently in Montana, nobody lives there. There's like six people that apply for unemployment. That's not true. Right. <laughs> a few, few dozen thousand, I'm sure. But um, far fewer than in California. California got millions of claims. Montana, mm-hmm. not the case. And the guy in Montana, he is finding with his unemployment situation... He'll just open his bank account and be like, oh, my God, there's more money in here. What is going on? It mm-hmm. just keeps coming. Mm-hmm. And in California, my friend in California has lost his job. And he has not gotten his unemployment check in four weeks. He applied five weeks ago at the first one. Not a single one since. <laughs> and it's the mm-hmm. first of the month tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Which will be today. Tomorrow. <laughs> and the first of the month is when... All the stuff is due for all those recurring things. Mm. So what does this have to do with scarcity and plenty? Money is so weird. Yeah. That's kind of my point. Yeah. I thought this was going to be a fun story. 
Well, it's fun for Montana guy. Well, yeah. (laughs) Not fun for (laughs) California guy. Yeah. And money we're talking about next week? A couple weeks? Coming up. Next week. Yeah, at some point soon. Also relevant. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's crazy, though, that it's the same process, but that it can look so different based on how many people are filing. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. It just, the relationship to them, it's like, it's kind of all the same. It's not the same money because every state does their unemployment system, but it is the same currency mm-hmm. and it's just kind of floating. Mm-hmm. Some places it's there yeah. and some places it's just not there. Mm-hmm. Like that just changes your outlook on so many things, changes your stress, mm-hmm. changes your outlook. And so that's just a very like grounded way where you look at these two people and you're like, this guy very different set of concerns than this other person Mm -hmm. going through very similar moment and in very similar states of unemployment Mm -hmm. or you'd think they do okay we can do the first three payments for both of you as opposed to all five for one and just the first for the other i don't know i know it doesn't work like that but in my brain it feels unfair yeah yeah kind of the point yeah so Hmm. dom brought us through some questions so We'll first uh, let's hear from Dom a little bit. Hear from the room. Hear from what what things were like on a a Saturday in February a couple months ago. We, this series, um, we see politics as something that's central to everything we do and everything we experience in community. We're exploring the stark contrast between the structures and the systems that exist within our culture and society um, and the countercultural way of being that Jesus presented in his life and teachings. So I would love for us to dive into and discuss how the ideas of scarcity and plenty fit into this bigger theme and how scarcity and plenty may impact the way that we enter into community and into politics and how we let them shape and influence our views around community and politics, whether it's intentional or not. So let's get into it. Uh, First discussion question is, when you think about scarcity and plenty, what comes to mind? And what things in life do we look out, look at through a lens of scarcity and plenty? Um, the question may be shared with my group about um, our group, not my group. Um, when really there's not 
that's what the question made me. You talked about like money. Uh, I don't know. That's the first thing that came. But the first thing that I thought of was like supply and demand, and like there's like a general piece. Like I don't know. So I can't really remember economics that well. But. <laughs> first one we had when you think about scarcity and plenty what comes to mind and what kind of things do we think about through these lenses everything I remember that was my first thought on the Saturday okay. <laughs> was it was hard to find an example of something that doesn't operate in that frame of mind in it, either it being scarce or not being scarce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My first thought was groceries. So everybody's freaking out. Yeah. The past little while. We didn't have toilet paper for a little while. We figured it out. Hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. Flour. Flour. Yeah. Everybody's making bread. This is okay. Regarding scarcity and plenty. Mm -hmm. The It was a mindset that we're not going to have enough of these things mm -hmm. that created the scarcity. It was mm -hmm. people thinking, oh, shoot, like there is not going to be enough of all this. Yeah. So we're going to have to get some. <laughs> but the thing about supply chains in our day and age is that there is always going to be enough toilet paper. Yeah. Unless, I don't know, some absurd terrorist bombs all the toilet paper plants, which is mm -hmm. extremely unlikely. Yeah. Toilet paper is going to be fine. The hand sanitizer is going to be fine. The flour is going to be fine. Yeah. But <laughs> people think, oh, no, there is not going to be enough. And then they generate a reality where there is yeah. no actually not, not enough, enough of those things. Was it you that sent the video of the, the, the guy that does the math of how many times you'd have to poop to use the amount of toilet paper that you've hoarded? Oh, no. I it was so was funny. <laughs> I don't know where I saw it then. But they calculated out like, all right, if you give yourself 10 squares for every time you poop and you got you get one of the big boxes from Costco for your family. They did like a family of four. He's like, you'd have to shit like 16 times a day to use that much toilet paper in like a month. Wow. <laughs> or yeah, I don't know. It was something ridiculous, but. It's like we don't even need that much. Even if this lasts for six months, you're not going to go through that. <laughs> yeah. And it's still at the store. So yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, we create scarcity when we're afraid of scarcity. <laughs> totally. Isn't that absurd? Yeah. That's so weird that we do that. What an odd trait of the humans. And we do that with a lot of things, too, I think. 
and you see like animals and stuff like when they become domesticated or and even humans as we've domesticated ourselves Mm -hmm. or perhaps wheat domesticated us that's a whole theory in uh, in some book um some book it's sapiens yeah we're all talking about (laughs) it we still have these like urges animals both human and non-human that like there's not going to be enough food at some point Mm -hmm. and so we'll like when we find it like when a cat eats like we had this cat we found in the woods and so (laughs) we (laughs) like when you were in high school uh when i was in i think fifth grade wow (laughs) this cat we found in the woods near our cabin oh okay and (laughs) it would always eat so much whenever it got food because it was always like this is the end Mm -hmm. if i i might not find it again yeah and there's some sort of like weird thing that kicks off in us where we're in under duress or in a stressful Uh situation and we'll eat because our primal instincts say like oh this feeling i have i'm sure you learned about this and Mm -hmm. in your education (laughs) this feeling of stress and like like the system is failing yeah means i need to bulk up on the food right now but it's interesting because an animal presumably would learn that it hasn't had enough so then it would like overindulge whereas with this most of the people that are hoarding these supplies have never had the the experience of actual scarcity yeah so it's not this like learned response to something that they've experienced it's just the threat of that pos of the possibility of that which is a different i think yeah it's yeah it's right to say that we all have these like hoarding or um Gorging. I don't know, like stocking up behaviors, but I think people do it in a different way out of the fear of something else coming, whereas an animal might do it out of a learned response to going without or to scarcity. Yeah. But even the cat after she lived with us, she still did the same stuff. Oh, she lived with you for a while? She lived with us for a while. Oh, and she would always be like, oh, I gotta eat. Yeah. She would say this to us. She'd speak <laughs> English and she'd say, You know, guys, out in the wild, I didn't get much food and I haven't figured it out that I <laughs> will always get another me. meal. So, yeah. <laughs> Here I am <laughs> getting big in the garage because we kept her in the garage. And she knew. She knew it was a garage. <laughs> getting big in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> what was her name? <laughs> her name was Sequoia. Nice. Because yeah, we found her in Sequoia. <laughs> See, yeah. that's the kind of story that I thought we were going to start with. Oh, well, I'll move them around. <laughs> okay. No, you don't have to. What happened to her? She got eaten by a <laughs> bird. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> she was a big tasty treat. By a bird? Like a, like a hawk like or a an eagle. Like a bird of prey. A bird of prey, yeah. Shoot. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, she was, she was white. She's very easy to find on a, on a road or Do a lawn. Do a picture of her? Can I see it later? I could could you find them? Probably on Facebook. Oh. Yeah. Scarcity and plenty is just kind of the name of the game, it feels like, these days with all the with all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Not enough tests. Mm-hmm. That's a real scarcity. Yeah. <coughs> Not a mindset. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. We don't have enough of them. But for whatever reason, other places have figured out mm-hmm. how, to, how to get them. So mm-hmm. I don't know what... I don't know what that's about. Yeah. Um, all these curves, all these curves that were flattening are about 
scarcity, right? Not enough ICU beds, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. enough ventilators. Yeah. Not enough this, not enough that. And it's like, yeah. How do you how do you live out of plenitude? Cuz mm-hmm. that's sort of where it's all headed, right? Yes. How do you live from a place of like there is enough? Mm-hmm. When there are these situations where like hundreds of millions of people have to make collective actions about there not being enough. Hmm. And then also making collective actions, eh, more individual actions. Everybody is making individual actions mm-hmm. that creates a separate not enough problem. That's a whole different thing. With the toilet paper. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So I think maybe just a lot right now. Yeah. <laughs> what comes to mind? A ton. I think that this is an important topic to dive into and look at um, and also create shared experience in humanity. Um, I would say that just looking from looking at politics across the ages in terms of kingdoms and empires and kind of the always wanting more mentality. Um, but I, and I think it's also a motif that's found in the Bible, um, even from the very beginning. And so I think that it starts with creation and showing the relationship a creative God has with creation, um, but that also God created out of an overwhelming abundance, a plenty, if you will. Um, Genesis one twenty nine says, Then God said, I now give to you all the plants on earth that yield seeds, and all the trees whose fruit produces its seeds within it. This will be your food. So even the food created had the potential within it to create more food, um, pointing to abundance and plenty. Um, And so I think that this idea is woven in as a reminder and spills out into a world where fear and scarcity can drive so many decisions. Um, And that scarcity is often a lens by which we view our experience in this world. but it could also be a lens. We could also have the lens of plenty. So next questions for you all is how does viewing things through a lens of scarcity or plenty impact how we make decisions? And does viewing things through one of these lenses impact our humanity and how so? How does viewing things through a lens of scarcity or plenty impact how we make decisions? Does seeing it through a certain lens impact our humanity how might how might to do that i think we talked a little bit about it if everyone's operating from scarcity it makes us hoard things and makes us very uh it makes it a lot harder to be generous and have a collective mindset yeah i think it it caters to individualism very easily without much um i don't know like if something's actually scarce you kind of have the excuse of just thinking about yourself Hmm. yeah of like yeah it makes sense to care for your own family or your own community over other people if it really is scarce so as long as we're convinced that things actually are scarce we can pretty easily justify being very self-centered or yeah like taking what we need 
Yeah. Hmm. And I think that definitely affects our actions. I think there's the when I think whenever I think about these these things, I think about natural resources and how in a lot of ways there is enough for everybody. Right? There's enough for us to feed all the people. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of us like not being willing to distribute those things yeah. in any sort of equal way. But there's like this this separate thing from oh, maybe it's connected, I don't know. I think about like cultures of consumption mm-hmm. where there is this sort of like this thing in the air that's like I need to like be moving through stuff. Like mm-hmm. there are there are things that I want to acquire mm-hmm. and then I'm just gonna keep on doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um and like a reality of plenty where it's like, oh eh, well, store's always full of stuff. Mm-hmm. Amazon's always got a new thing. There's always something else that I think, oh, if I had this, then things would be mm-hmm. as they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um that's kind of separate from this like scarcity plenty dynamic because then there's other Mm. places i don't know i'm not sure where i'm going with this but i think consumption's a important like feature of it yeah well even thinking about like the idea of like clothing consumption yeah in one way we operate out of scarcity. And then I think in a different way, we know there's plenty. We know there are plenty of clothes. Mm-hmm. And we know that we will always have access to some sort of clothing at its most basic use. Yet we, like these trends that are happening, are only going to happen for a certain amount of time. Therefore, those styles and those cuts and fits and whatever are very scarce Hmm. but then as soon as they're gone as soon as they're arguably the most scarce we don't care about them anymore the trend or the 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 clothes that are the trend so it's like okay you like i don't know color blocking eventually like when the shirt has like three yeah when it's like big it's not a pattern but it's like large i don't know blocks of color like, if that's super trendy, you're going to want to buy it. It's going to feel scarce because you know it's not going to be produced or that specific style or company won't produce it for that much longer. So yeah. it feels scarce. While clothes in general are very plentiful. And while you know it's not even going to last that much longer, uh, in which point you don't care about it. So it's like, that's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> of like, we know... Or even like we know a lot of companies are making that same type of style, yet we want this one specific one. So that feels scarce, even though the style and the colors or whatever that are trendy, we know are plentiful. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so then like, uh, well, and so this is the whole, this is the role of the of consumption mm-hmm. that we're constant we're chasing have you heard the expression chase the dragon no it's it usually is referring to uh when people are doing hard drugs okay and probably why i haven't heard it they like get the first hit 
Yeah. And then every time you do like, you know, something intense after mm-hmm. that, you're trying to chase the dragon oh. that you had the first time. Okay. And so. Because you have no tolerance. Yeah. yeah you have no. Right. And then your tolerance builds. Yeah. So you're probably never going to reach that as same a, point. As a heavy, hard drug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That's hey, so we're using we're using my psych background right now, Paul. That's what we're doing. Oh. Yeah. We're just <laughs> using my knowledge on on uh, substances and their impact and impact on uh, neurological processes. Perfect. Yeah. But yeah. So. Okay, chasing the dragon. You're chasing the, the you're chasing the consumption dragon. Mm-hmm. Where it's always something is scarce maybe i don't know like clout is the clout scarce if Mm. you can get the clout first with the being on being on the trend yeah maybe good it's a we could talk about that forever because then it's like uh it's only cool when you don't care about it just enough Mm. it's like oh it's only trendy when like people are just doing it just like because okay like not you know if you try too hard to be trendy you're not trendy totally. you know the thing so it's like yeah i've heard about this i don't know you really care but you gotta you kind of gotta not care so you gotta uh no never mind <laughs> <laughs> so i think that we like look at this creation and there's plenty and then i don't think it took very long for that like the shift and change to happen where Begin to see the world through a lens of more scarcity, and in the Bible, we start in Genesis one with this plenty, and then in Genesis forty-seven, um, we see this scarcity view happen. Um, the idea of scarcity is that there isn't enough. A vision that food, time, money, and resources are scarce, and I think it can become a egocentric view that cuts off community uh, and that cuts out generosity and care for more people. Um, It's a view that says we ought to be doing, uh, what we ought to be doing is working as hard as we can to secure as many of the sacred resources for ourselves as we can before others take them from us. Um, So as kingdoms and governments and systems developed as a way that society functions. There were groups of people in power over other groups of people, and that seems to be a correlation of where resources became scarce and plentiful. Um, So in Genesis 47, it's a story where there's famine everywhere, and the Egyptian pharaoh then organizes, administers, controls, and monopolizes the food supply, um, showing this idea of scarcity among Everyone gives all their silver in exchange for food, and then they sell all their land to Pharaoh and trade for food, and then their livestock, um, and then they eventually become slaves under the Egyptians. And this new idea of things being scarce and let's collect and gather everything we can um, is also this idea that mainly those in power can have or take everything. Um, So scarcity and fear seem to be intertwined. I think that fear surrounding scarcity um, brings our focus into ourselves, and we can take a very inward view, um, and that fear dissipates a communal view. 
we lose the perspective that not only is famine a fear for me, but it's also a fear for my neighbor. We take on the view that I can't share because then there won't be enough for me. While I was uh, thinking about this idea and writing this out this week, a kind of si silly example came to my mind from my life. It's while I was reading a book in college and the book centered around the idea of hospitality in terms of specifically gathering groups of people. The author spoke of her love for cooking and trying new recipes and having people gathered in her kitchen and around the dinner table. And the group I was reading it with, and we all talked about how excited we were to, to be hospitable in the future when we had a house and could come together for fancy dinner parties with cloth napkins and wine. But it was this like out there thing, like when we have the things. Um, and the scarcity came in and I think overtook this bigger idea of hospitality and doing it right where you are with what you have. Um, and this idea that, well, I can be a hostess when I have the means to do it in that picturesque way when I'm not a college student in a dorm room and when I have money and nice things, etc. And I think the scarcity took me out of that present moment and out of the plenty I did have um, and continue to have and rather than doing what I could in that time with what I had, I felt that there was only value to it when I could do it bigger and better. Um, and I only felt the scarcity. Um, so, based on this, that kind of story and example, is there a time in your life where scarcity or not having enough of something has held you back from sharing in some sense? Okay, back to the good stuff. Is there a time in your life where not having enough has held you back from sharing something? Okay. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the time. I could easily, I mean, we're still working right now. I could easily take some of my income and donate to more causes and organizations, but I haven't done very much of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. When you're not making when you're not making a lot of money. Mhm. Mm it's it's the same thing. It's like that's that's what we were saying earlier. <laughs> like when it when you can make a point of like when you can make an a uh, rationale for scarcity. Mhm. Mm no one's going to say people making minimum wage have to be donating if you still are working. Like no mm -hmm. one's going to Trader Joe's and saying to those people like you're making money. You better be giving it to people who aren't. Yeah. They're saying thanks for working the essential jobs, which yes, of course. But like when you can make a a plea for scarcity, no one's no one's telling you you have to share. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. There's, there's a bunch of stuff going around on the internet when the stimulus package was about to about yeah. to hit. Everybody's getting $1,200. And it was all this stuff about like, here's the place that you should donate your $1,200. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a lot of people that should not be donating that $1,200. Mm -hmm. They should be yeah. paying their rent. 
Yeah. And it seemed like, I mean, if I'm seeing it, probably other not super wealthy people are seeing this. Yeah. It's like, are they feeling bad about yeah. being... I don't know. Being poor. Maybe. And that they can't send it somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Generosity is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make a lot of sense evolutionarily. No. Pretty pretty little sense. Yeah. Unless it's like, oh, like you are, I don't know, like the people that are close around you makes sense. But sending off your $1,200 to someone in Louisiana who really needs to pay for their housing or their groceries or... yeah something like that it's a lot it doesn't make sense it's like well if you're if we're going off of like basic drives here of the humankind that does not make sense yeah generosity is a is a weird thing yeah and that we've socially considered that like it's like a virtue yeah a virtue like the best thing yeah there's something I want to talk about billionaires. Okay. I think a lot of times we think about and billionaires, okay, there are people literally who have like billions of dollars in wealth mm-hmm. and then also this like the sort of people that like live in that class above like the operations of the peons that can just <laughs> sort of like make a call and like get out of any problem or uh-huh. you know, like the the day-to-day struggles that mm-hmm. most people face mm-hmm. it's just like you have so much capital resource that those things are not issues yeah and then like when those people are like super jolly, like they start a foundation mm-hmm. or they like we're like oh we're gonna give like a hundred million dollars to this thing yeah and people are like oh my god you guys are so generous like mm-hmm. y'all are y'all are changing the world like mm-hmm. these people are what's gonna like fix society mm-hmm. But oh. <laughs> at that point, I'm kind of like, th- I would hope you would do those things. Yeah. Because how did you get right. to a place to acquire that level of dominance in our value culture? Uh-huh. I mean, it's almost like paying reparations to the class of people that you have capitalized off of. Yeah. And saying like, oh, well, now I'm going to get, because it's a virtue... I'm going to get recognition and my reputation will be heightened because I'm doing what I probably should be doing if I've reached this point. Yeah. And there's that, there's that parable about the two people in there or not a parable. It's just a story. Jesus finds the two, um, two people in the temple who are given money. Mm-hmm. And the the one guy is like spill all his gold coins, and they make a lot of noise, plink plink plink. And then the other lady comes in, and she has like three coins she's rubbing together and mm-hmm. puts two in. And she's like, "Look at this lady." And I think there's one way to read that story and be like, "All right, everybody, mm-hmm. even if you're poor, mm-hmm. you better pay up." Yeah, because that's what Jesus wants. But I think. <laughs> or Jesus is trying to teach something about fractions, <laughs> like percentages. Two thirds is bigger than one tenth, even if the one tenth is costs more dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, proportions I, I, are better. Perhaps than Pro- proportions than are an <laughs> important part of society that we should be accounting for. <laughs> I think that's certainly a possibility that he was he was expounding upon. Well, you know what, Paul? We'll seriously never know for sure. You're right. We'll never know for sure what he was talking about. I hope there's some time I can figure it out <laughs> at some so point. Too. I get that opportunity to ask somebody who will know. Why 12 disciples? It's a nice number. Who divisible what? by so many other things. <laughs> <laughs> there is a there's that story of the lady <laughs> the the mother who has the the pork roast or the the pot roast and she cuts off the ends and their da- that da- that daughter of the son asks mom why do you why do you when you make the pot roast why do you cut the ends off and she's like oh it's just in the recipe it says to cut them off she's like why she's like, i don't know she calls her grandma like or she calls her mom mm-hmm. she's like, mom why why in the recipe does it say cut the cut the ends off the pot roast she's like oh it's just in the recipe it's what it's what my mom told me to do and so luckily in their family they've got the great grandma still still around so i call the great grandma hey great grandma why do we cut the ends of the pot roast off in the recipe? She goes, oh, the pan was too small. <laughs> Had to cut the ends off to get it get it to fit in the pan. <laughs> so the point is like, sometimes we do mm, things yeah. with that we don't. I thought this was, at first, I thought this was your retelling of a, of a biblical narrative. Oh. <laughs> you know, the lady with the pot roast, remember? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> she washes Jesus' feet with the pot roast or something? I don't know. The pan was too small for the for the two feet, so you cut off like, the toes. What is she in the street and people are stoning her for the pot roast? <laughs> I can't, I can't, I get them mixed up. No, uh, okay. The point is that we like sometimes we do things without thought, and we don't know why we do it because yeah. we just do. It. And what what was what were we talking about earlier? Why did that? What was that connecting to? I have no idea. <laughs> no, the proportions and the giving. Oh, the twelve disciples. <laughs> It's like what if like why was it twelve? It's like well we had thirteen because we thought it was kind of cool like thirteen's like the devil's number right so we rolled thirteen because we were like badass dudes and then one of them like got run over by a donkey turned into Kyle Teske real quick (laughs) some badass dudes badass dudes um got ran over by a donkey and we're like thirteen is not a good idea twelve twelve it is twelve it is yeah. We are all over the place, but yeah, it's great. Yeah, be a mess. Um. <laughs> I think it's pretty easy for this idea of scarcity to slip into many aspects of our lives. Um, and I think that we can see this tension of plenty and scarcity throughout political realities within the Bible. Um, but I also think that if we look at the headlines of the news today, we could see where these motifs can into the political motivations of today. So my next question for you all, um, and we can just kind of chat these out together in a big group, is where in the landscape of politics today might scarcity versus plenty (coughs) be a driving motivation? What topics, political topics or issues um, might this idea be behind Social welfare. We don't have enough for the poor. More military, please. Um, I think 
so many people in our country view politics in general in a mindset of scarcity because they think that there's only two options. Um, there's only two ways to think about ideas or things in politics. Yeah, there's plenty of ways to think about it. Yeah. Um, the environment, climate change. We just don't know how to where to we put it back to into put the water it. table. Exactly, that's true. Well, we're the big issue of water in California is not that we don't have enough; it's just that we have a very poor infrastructure for putting it back into the water table for us to be able to use it. So it just runs off, and we put it straight back into the ocean, and then we can't use it then. So it's not that we don't have enough; we just don't have enough infrastructure. Too salty. <laughs> policies in 2020 and things that are hot topics in this upcoming election year. Um, there are some examples of these issues that I could see scarcity and plenty being a factor in. Immigration, healthcare, taxes on the wealthy, minimum wage and universal basic income, fracking, carbon taxes, education surrounding student debt and free college. And those are just a few. I think if you looked at full list, you might be able to see places where this tension resides in. Um, and a lot of these hot button issues are very politicized and like Joel said, there's kind of two ways of thinking about it and we fall into those camps. Um, but have we ever stopped to think about these topics in regards to scarcity saying there will not be enough for me if we share. I think that this view erodes the amount of plenty that we are aware of and acknowledge and therefore can often limit the generosity that we extend. We live into this pattern and rhythm of only seeing a lack. And when all we see is a lack, we are far less likely to give. In fact, I would argue the rhythm all around us regularly pushes us towards consuming Walter Brueggemann, who's a theologian, um, laid out a connection between our theological view of plenty versus scarcity and practicing generosity in a study conducted at Princeton. He writes, though many of us are well-intentioned, we have invested our lives in consumerism. We have a love affair with more, and we will never have enough. Scarcity can drive us to take more than we need, to buy more than we need, and to consume more than we can generously give and serve. The political and economic views uh, are so shaped by a fear of not having enough, or that there will not be enough for us, and that we need to do everything we can to make sure there is always enough for us, even if that means taking more than we need at the detriment of others or engaging in consumerism that clearly favor our well-being over that of the person who has provided that good for us. And we can challenge the idea that getting the lowest price for something is automatically a good thing because if the highest good of a purchase is that we are getting the most resource for the least cost while paying no attention to what it costs others for us to pay an unreasonably low price, 
we may be acting out of scarcity more than we realize. When we only see and purchase out of personal lack, our economic exchange will be turned to the mode of getting the most for ourselves, no matter the cost to others. Alternatively, if we lean towards a view of plenitude and with generosity, could our economic activity become a means of allowing others to share in the plentitude? And so I have these kind of thoughts and questions um, for us. And it's just something to continue to think on um, in the ways that we are all consumers. What if we saw the activity of buying and selling as more than getting something for ourselves? What if we saw it as being a part of community? What if it was an opportunity to relate to the person with whom we are entering into a relationship through the act of buying and selling? Rather than living from scarcity and being inwardly focused, what could it look like if we lived from a place of generosity with our plentitude? Looking back to the creation story, there's a plentitude in creation and the earth was intended to be a place where the divine and humankind are at home together. Um, and I feel the weight of community here and of being aware in regards to the plentitude and scarcity in our lives and how that can so often guide and dictate our generosity. We cannot be naive about the actual lack of resources that so many people in this world experience on a daily basis across the world and in our own backyard. Believing that every person and moment matters can be applied to the ways and the what's that we purchase. I encourage us all to look into things like fast fashion and where our food comes from, and that if supporting certain things with our money and with our plentitude comes, contributes to perpetuating scarcity for others. Is that something we need to look at? Is the way our plentitude affects others a part of politics, a part of life of other people, and is that something we want to be more mindful and aware of? I think that Jesus spent much of his time caring for the needs of others and living out radical generosity. And Jesus spent time trying to shift people's mindsets from themselves to a more communal view and understanding of life. I see leaning into plenitude and generosity as a beautiful piece of the kingdom of God, of the divine, and of the way things were intended to be. Um, as, we, as a way to live life together, I think we have the opportunity to reflect on scarcity and plenitude as a way to enter into community well. I think generosity is more often than not counterintuitive to the ways our culture operates but when we do experience generosity, it connects and brings people together. So, as we wrap up this time together and sing another song, I encourage you all to reflect a bit on this idea of plentitude and scarcity and to think about generosity that has been extended to you and how that has impacted you. And maybe one practice of generosity you would like to take up in light of the the last question was, what's one practice of generosity that you might step into in the coming time? Mm. I mean, probably the money. Probably the money. Yeah. 
Yeah. Always been. I've. 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 Uh, always been a very anxious person when it comes to financial security. Hmm. So maybe that is a lesson that I need to learn is that, you know, savings are nice if you eventually need to use them. But if they're just sitting there, you could probably be doing better things. <laughs> Not all of them, just some. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Or I like, I don't know. I know I'm going to have a job for the next year at least. So they're just going to keep growing little by little. And I don't know. Maybe I need to do that. Hmm. Yeah. I could very easily find an electronic copy of most books that I would like to read. Hmm. But do I want to pay for a book of an author that I really enjoy? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I bought two copies of a recent book that just came out. Yeah. Because the author's been freaking out about releasing a book in a pandemic. Yeah. He was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, I'm going to lose everything. It's like, oh, man. I, uh, I get two. Untamed. And she's, she, like, has, while it's been for sale since it was released, she's said, like, please buy from a bookstore like this. Please buy from small bookstores here are like their pages here are their websites and it's like more hesitant of saying like order it from amazon or like kind of the bigger chain bookstores well that's just crazy isn't it yeah like literally sales from her book have kept this bookstore that's insane this local bookstore from beverly massachusetts Glennon Doyle is an author. She's written this book called Untamed. Her porch is doing a book club on currently. Mm-hmm. This book, this bookstore owner says that purchases of Glennon Doyle's rec- most recent book has covered her, the sales of her one book alone covered her family's food for two weeks. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think also generosity when you're not when you don't have money um i think i could be more generous with my time Hmm. or more Mm -hmm. generous in my listening which comes into the category of time like to people or Mm -hmm. to things yeah to people or to things like like in person or just like human and non-human beings like a podcast i mean like something like like an actual conversation not like a yeah okay yeah Somebody, I think it was Krista Tippett, she once said, listening is an act of generosity. Hmm. Something I've thought about a long time. Yeah. Because uh, you're giving attention mm-hmm. and you're giving time. And I think that there are few things otherwise that have as positive and immediate benefit with l- very little cost. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of things that have short-term benefits and long-term negative costs down the road Hmm. you climate change stuff um but listening Hmm. you just make somebody feel like they're known and heard and what does it take for you to clear your mind a little bit and be present Mm -hmm. is that torturous 
I was talking to someone the other day about what makes what makes people good with kids and I think it came down to just listening to them (laughs) (laughs) and like like but actually like a kid they could ramble for hours about nothing and as long as they have your attention like they'll really love you Hmm. and if you like give feedback on their ideas or if you want to do the stupid things that they talk about yeah so easy yeah you just listen to them (laughs) make them feel like a real person for a little bit it's because it's hard yeah (laughs) and i'm sure i mean do children feel like real people i'm probably not asking those questions yet there are plenty of adults (laughs) who uh care less what a couldn't care less what a what a child has to say on any given subject did you encounter that with riley yeah, she was babbling on about something. And like I think this happens this happened this morning where she like can't articulate what she means. Riley is your little sister. Riley's my young my four year old sister. Um where she is trying to explain something or trying to remember something. Yeah. And instead of me even if I know what it is, instead of me saying like oh you mean this like yeah. letting her explain it until she gets there and like trying to help her be able to articulate it instead of just like giving the answer or like solving the problem mm-hmm. she i don't know she responds very well to that which is pretty cool to see in a small being yeah of like watching the process of her getting somewhere and realizing like oh yeah that's what that meant or like this is what this thing is called and she's trying so hard to like hmm. help me understand and it would be much easier to just say like oh you mean like you're talking about when we went to the beach and saw that thing yeah instead of me being like oh wait where were we who were you with yeah what were you doing what did you see like it's it's a lot i mean it is more time consuming cuz sometimes it takes her a while but she can always get there like she just needs the right cues the right and questions recalls. yeah yeah the right listening listening yeah and i think especially with memories of like interpersonal connections a lot of the most important ones were just when people listen we learned in my one of my psych classes um that what was it called it's called the helping relationship where you pretty much learn how to do like mini therapy sessions with a another usually younger student um and the first thing that you learn in the class part the lecture part is you're not allowed to offer advice because one it's probably not going to be that applicable to the person and two like they don't really need it you're just serving as like this mirror or sounding board for them to process their thoughts and it's like very circular and people know what they need more than they think they do oh yeah and so what people really need is just like a person to talk to a face to communicate with that has what they call unconditional positive regard of Hmm. like you're not going to judge them for what they say or what conclusion they come to you're not going to offer advice you're just going to like lead them along the process of figuring out 
for themselves. But I think the moments that I can think of where I've had that or where I've helped someone get there are by far the most meaningful. Hmm. Like, especially in comparison to like, oh, well, I did this and this was helpful. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So I heard somebody say once that the advice that somebody offers usually is probably going to say more about the person giving the advice mm-hmm. than meaningful to the person it's being given to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you should do this. You should do that. They're probably saying, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. That's what I do right now. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Let's, let's go. You go do that then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Advice is weird. Listening is great. Um, What do we got? We got Saturday night worship gatherings. We're Zooming mm-hmm. nonstop. Um, I want to do an episode soon on Zoom and what it's doing to us. But, um, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Um, just like, because we normally compartmentalize all of our social interactions. We got workspace. Yeah. Living space, friend space, mm-hmm. social space. And now it's all on one box. Yeah. And that is just too much for a lot of us. Sometimes um, you forget what you can chat in a work setting and what you can chat in a friend setting. Totally. I'm just kidding. Maybe. Not really. Oh. I, I feel like it's fairly easy to compartmentalize for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I do it. <laughs> um, regardless, we're zooming. Mm-hmm. Five o'clock. Link to the Zoom room in our Instagram bio. It's a link tree. You just click front porch Zoom room. There you go. 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Be talking about the environment this mm-hmm. week and next week. What are we talking about, Emily? Talking about feminine incarnation. Sick. And yeah. God with some female pronouns. Very cool. We yeah. love that. Um, office hours. We got every day. Mm-hmm. Emily's on Mondays. Dom's on Tuesdays, Teresa on Wednesdays, Paul's on Thursdays, Joel's on Fridays. And I realized they're all either at 10 or 11. We can start saying that. And they're all at 10 or 11. Yeah. That's nice. That's great. Yeah. Um, Open mic next Friday, this coming Friday, the 8th. Yeah. The 8th. Friday the 8th, we have open mic on Zoom at 7 in our front porch Zoom room. And that'll be real fun. Yeah. Hopefully. I think so. It could be a mess, but maybe sometimes we love a good mess. Yeah. That's why we like Jackson Pollock. (laughs) It's just a good mess. A good mess. Um, (laughs) That's happening. Yeah. Sign up sheet will go out next Monday. A virtual one, of course. And that's nice because we don't have to replace it three times when coffee gets spilled on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's been a great perk of people not being here is coffee does not get spilled on all of our sign-up sheets. Yep. That's real. But so we absurd. do miss you. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we do. Um, What else we got? Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday. Now. This coming Tuesday. <laughs> Giving Tuesday now. On compared Tuesday. To g- compared to Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday happens in... November, Black Friday, the Tuesday after Black Friday. Giving Tuesday now is happening now, this coming Tuesday. May 5th. May 5th. Because uh, all sorts of nonprofits are 
being hit in all sorts of different ways because of um, the pandemic we find ourselves in. So absurd to say. But that is what's happening. Yeah. And um, yeah, Front Porch is among those. And we are still working. So we are hoping to raise 10 grand on that day. Maybe so. we could recruit a billionaire. Oh, that would be great. You want to call him up? Yeah, I know. <laughs> do I know any billionaires? I don't know if I do. I might know some millionaires. Oh, yeah. Millionaires are dime a dozen. <laughs> okay. So that's cool. Music on the episode, Life Grid. Find him where the music is. Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Hosts today, Emily and Paul. And we love you. We're out. We're out.